Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com What the fuck? A plus silence. <laughs> Someone mute Terry. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Right. This happens at least half of the episodes. Like, we're so bad at this. Like, <laughs> Do we need 10 more now? Did we all fuck it up? <laughs> I think we did. That's fine. You know, at this point, we're just going to keep, we're just going to go. It's fine. <laughs> Welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest or guests bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. And these guests are already making me laugh. <laughs> this week, our guests are Powell Robinson and Patrick Young, also known as P-Squared, apparently. The filmmakers <laughs> behind Threshold, which is currently streaming on Arrow. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Hey, everyone. <laughs> wow, you sounded so excited, dude. I know. I was going to say, okay, wow, we've turned, we've turned it down. <laughs> um, but we're so excited to chat with you about Threshold because it was one of my favorites at shit. Night Street. Night <laughs> yeah, us too. <laughs> uh, Salem? Yeah, there it is. Salem. Is Salem? I'm so sorry. There were so, I'm sorry. That was so embarrassing. There were so, I knew, I was trying to remember to not make well, They were happening at the same time and there were like five festivals and they and were they all, all great. All of them. So, yeah. yeah. Shit yeah. fast, Salem. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the, you know, the problem was is that like I, I was covering Nightstream and I wasn't covering Salem. And I was like, I don't think this one was at Nightstream because I probably would have seen it then. <laughs> yep. You know, 
But uh, at Salem, this was like, you know, I watched it. I had obviously like it was on the schedule. I was like, oh, this sounds great. And it was one of my absolute favorites of the festival and like the festival circuit last year. Um, so I'm super excited to talk with you guys. Us too. Thank you so much. We uh, yeah. probably wouldn't be here if we hadn't gotten into into Salem. They've they've helped us a ton. K is oh, amazing. K is the best. best. I love K. K. Is the best. So but, before we, oh, sorry, <laughs> let's just keep talking Jesus. about K. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Former guest of the show too. Um, but so before we do get to talk to uh, talk, God, this has just gone off the off rails. You can Y'all do it. <laughs> <laughs> so before we do talk about Threshold, let's take it all the way back. How did you both get introduced to horror? Patrick. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, my mom, my mom just fed it to me. Uh, I mean, one of my earliest memories of watching movies was uh, uh, we, we had kept all of the VHSs in the closet in my bedroom because we were only in like a two bedroom uh, apartment and, you know, VHSs take up a lot of space. Oh, they sure and, do. And so, uh, you know, I would look at all of them and, you know, I, I'd always walk, I'd choose the scariest looking uh, VHSs and come out and like, hey, can we watch this one today? Like, this is like kindergarten Patrick, knowing she would say no. Um, and like, ah, okay, we won't watch uh, Silence of the Lambs today. <laughs> but then one day she agreed and it was Jaws and she, she, she told me, she swore to me that, you know, she would warn me before all the scary parts. And she forgot about the the kid. She forgot about the kid on the the fucking on the oh, floaty. No. Yeah. I was like the least the scariest scene the in the movie. Scariest part. <laughs> I cried and hated her. And then we watched it again uh, a couple of days later, and I loved it. <laughs> um, and you know, for that, she just fed me like all the all the franchises. We'd go to Blockbuster, and I go, okay, today's Amityville four, and then Amityville five, and then Highlander two, three, four, five, Poltergeist one, two, three, and I just went through as many as I can. Just as, as wow. long as I've been watching movies, it's felt like I've been watching horror movies. What a movie to be introduced to the yeah. genre with, too. I mean, that's like an all timer right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's her for, for her favorite movie. We grew up with uh, two movie posters in our house, and it was a uh, Goldfinger and Jaws. Oh, range. And I Jaws, love it. Yeah. Jaws yeah. was the first horror movie that I also saw and there at a go. very young age, but it was because my grandfather didn't think about what it would like the effect it would have on mm. me as a child. And I didn't have a cool mom that was like, okay, well, I guess almost <laughs> all the way, like prepared you for it. But um, yeah, I didn't go swimming for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, my mom, it had a, a similar effect on my mom. And I actually, I wrote a, uh, a really crappy Lifetime movie that's on Netflix called Pretty Little Stalker. And in it, uh, the mother, she writes books. And I needed her to have like some kind of like the evil stalker girl needed to like threaten her or whatever. And, and so I made the mom afraid to go in the pool because like, she never learned how to swim because of Jaws. And so there's a scene in this movie where the stalker girl starts backing her up to the pool and like, oh, she can't swim because she saw Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God. That is incredible. Uh, yeah, you should definitely check out both of Patrick's Lifetime movies. They are. No, not that one. The other ones. <laughs> the, the other one's trashy fun because I watched a bunch of. Like drive-in seventies, eighties flicks, like Malibu High, while watching it. But this one's bad. <laughs> this one's bad. Is the other one my teacher, my obsession? Yes. 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 <laughs> I was hoping that was it. <laughs> yep, that's it. Five stars. 
<laughs> wow. So I was trying to I was trying to think about how 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 it started for me. All I remember yeah. is I torrented a copy of The Evil Dead in like middle school or something off of some early torrent oh thing, and, I, and like waited till my parents were asleep because they both weren't horror buffs. And so I saw that, got obsessed. We went on like a family trip with a cousin of mine, and they. Oh fuck no, that was beforehand. Holy shit, we were way younger. Sorry, I just got my timeline fucked up. I was like six or seven, and my cousin and I went on went on a trip with both of our families, and we heard about this movie, The Shining, and had no idea what it was. And our parents wouldn't let us watch it, but we learned that like red rum was a thing in it. So we, there, our poor parents had these two, like we were matching ages, kids running around these hotel rooms in the dark, like yelling <laughs> red rum. <laughs> no, no. Did you did she know? What, no, what? neither neither yeah. of us knew what we were doing. We just had <laughs> heard Red Rum was relevant and like right. these, like perfect aged matching kids saying like Red Rum in the dark. Uh and I'm sure our parents fucking hated us. Um, and then That's... the evil dead thing happened and then it was uh all down or uphill depending how you look at it from there. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's cool. I'm just imagining I mean, I, hearing like phantom children voices screaming red rum in a hotel room. Yeah. I know how I would have left immediately. I would have been like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Was it snowing? <laughs> it was no. Sadly, it was the wrong uh, kind of hotel. We were in like San Diego near the beach, but uh, oh, it was well, it was night. I had half of it right. We, we've been asked this question like 50 <laughs> times, and I've never heard that. I answer totally before. forgot until <laughs> I talked to my mom a couple days ago. It's, it's wild that you it haven't been triggered because my answer usually includes The Shining. Yeah, I just straight up forgot. We, I don't know. It's been a long couple months getting this movie out into the world. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I can understand that. There's just um, two of us uh, on the team now at this point. So uh, on the post team delivering it at least. So it's been a lot. That's wild. So besides those films that you mentioned, what were some of some of your other horror favorites growing up? Well, the I mean, uh, I, I should say other other than my mom, and this also started with my family. I mean, my main horror draw has always been Stephen King. Mm-hmm. My my grandmother, uh, I was visiting her one day, and I could see. I, was, I think I was in third grade. I could see her kind of getting in a tussy, uh, kind of upset. And she's like, I'm not going to finish this book. It's too scary. I can't do it. I was like, what's, uh-huh. like, what's, what is happening? She's like, some bushes are moving around and it's too scary for me and I'm not going to finish it. <laughs> and I was like, that doesn't sound very scary. Give me the book and I'll read it. Uh, and it was The Shining. The Shining, and, you know, yeah. It <laughs> scared the shit out of me because I was in third grade. But it, it quickly indoctrinated it, uh, me into this. And so, I mean... Fourth grade, I was walking to class with like you know Tommy Knockers and Needful Things and like some Tom Clancy books. And my my <laughs> my, my my teachers like I literally I shit you not know, once I called home like hey is, is it okay your kid is reading this stuff <laughs> like is this allowed? <laughs> your son is reading Tom Clancy. How old is he really? Son's <laughs> walking around talking about like this book's teaching him how to make a bomb at home. Are you, is, is everything okay? <laughs> You know, you know what though, uh, that that scene in the book of The Shining with the the, the brush that's moving and it, mm-hmm. it's like the shape of animals and they, they you know they leap and attack. Uh, ha- um, what's his name? Um, Halliman. Halliman. They attack. Oh, Halloran. Haller- yeah, mm-hmm. Halloran. When I was a kid, I was so upset that The Shining movie didn't have that in it. <laughs> like I was, <laughs> I went into The Shining movie so pissed because all the things Where that I loved bushes? about the book were exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Where exactly. is the topiary? Where is the haunted topiary? <laughs> is that how you say that? Topiary is that what yeah, like the it animals? Is. Wow. Yes, that's correct. Look at me. 
<laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm so what, proud what of you. About- <laughs> it's also an educational show now. Yeah, yes. it is. The word of the day is topiary, everybody. <laughs> when you had like a noise banger for every time someone says, if you can work that into a conversation at any time, you get points or something. I don't know. <laughs> what about you, Powell? What, uh, what other movies did, did you like growing up? Horror so movies. So I had a great. It was, a, it was really cool. My my high school actually had a had a film class that kind of it. it extended through all of high school and so every year got a little tougher but uh, i had a great teacher who when i told him i was into you know camera work and and lighting he's like you got to check out suspiria and so i was like a freshman in high school and he was like just find a way to watch it (laughs) so i i got a uh just find a way so i saw suspiria uh (laughs) and that blew my mind and then the other one that wasn't it's it's technically more on the thriller side but this was still a distinct memory from that same formative film class of uh it was hard candy oh. <gasps> and how that movie was shot like basically affected how i shot everything for the next six years or so till i grew out of it but i was obsessed i was like high shutter angle on everything everything has to be <laughs> sharp and spooky looking and so uh yeah that that had a yeah that one was that a, was that was patrick wilson right Is that, it was mm-hmm. yeah and elliot page yep. yeah but then, yeah, I, I started to go through the classics with a couple of friends of mine, just same deal in, in the, wherever we could grab them from when we were still under, you know, 17 <laughs> and torrenting <laughs> stuff to watch <laughs> anything we could. Original Texas Chainsaw, Hellraiser, First Nightmare. Man, you know, I think I think of how, like, different things are for, for young kids and young adults finding movies now or especially at the boom back in, like, you know, early 2000s because – I mean, I grew up, you know, with the 80s and stuff, and it was basically what you could get at your local store that you could maybe either convince the the shopkeep yeah. to give you or, like, your parents mm-hmm. to, like... You needed a hookup at a Blockbuster who was, like, yeah. your friend's older brother who could, like, slip <laughs> you, you know, the R-rated stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, and most of my middle school, high school experience was just, like, what's popular on uTorrent today? What's yep. pop- like LimeWire and Bear Share? Like, oh, what's this weird Shaitan movie? Okay, we'll watch that. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that's what I did too. <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of that. Yeah, Pirate oh. Bay was my best friend. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. I remember torrenting Peeping Tom because my friend and I were like, "That mm. sounds fun." It wasn't. It was <laughs> awful. Know. Like it was horrifying. I was like, <laughs> and then we also, and then I think we also did. I spit on your grave, and we were both like, "What's wrong oh, with God. us?" We're, I think we were <laughs> wow. in high school, and I don't wow. think I processed those movies until much later. But <laughs> yeah, the internet uh, really gives you access to some weird shit, huh? Yeah, yeah, it sure it does. does. <laughs> it sure does, especially if you end up in the wrong place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So as as adults, do you do either of you still get scared or get feel that like childhood fear that when you that you had when you were a kid watching movies? Um, only occasionally. I think Patrick yeah. and I actually both had a, a difficult time finding movies because both of us were like not too many things scared us scared us when we were yeah younger. we were like, just we... fascinated by these movies. You know? Okay, I mean other other than going back you know super young like that Jaws experience, but yeah. most of it like oh like oh aliens this is so cool how did they do this it was like oh like look at just look at the majesty of of the horror it was kind of most of our attitudes. But every once in a while one would sneak in and one still does sneak in every once in a while. Yeah. Do you remember what the last one that scared you was? terrified oh yeah oh. terrified scared the shit out of yeah me. that one got me too like right from the start 
<laughs> well, I, think, I watched it because you told me that too. You're like, dude, I know, <laughs> I know we haven't seen a scary one in a while. You've got to check this out. And then I, yeah, I watched it immediately after. On Shutter. Yep. Wow, what a plant. Nice work. <laughs> I saw that at Telluride in the auditorium, inebriated, and it oh. was a horrendous experience. Yeah, I, was, I bet. It's terrifying. <laughs> that movie really was terrifying. True to I its title. Fun. I was like, oh, it's supposed to be scary. Let me like shut my door, turn the lights off, put on noise-canceling headphones. I was, you know, obviously like not young, and I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I yeah. was like, I had to turn the lights on like halfway through the movie. I was like, nope. Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> We've definitely gotten grossed out together, though. Like, we, we we did a double feature of Salo, 120 Days of Sodom, and the Serbian film, One Year in College. What's wrong oh, Jesus. with you? Yeah, back I was, to, I was, I was back writing an back. essay it on them. I was, it was for a class. <laughs> I swear. Wow. Yeah, wow. That, was, that was a hardcore four no, hours yeah, or five I, hours. I, I, hate, I hate a Serbian film. I don't yeah. like, there, there are only three movies, like, Two movies in existence that I actively shit on because, like, I like to be generally nice. But a Serbian film is one of them. I hate it. <laughs> I think it, I think it's garbage. <laughs> I think any anything with like baby violence in it, I just can't get past. What's the other movie? Uh, Human Centipede Two. Yeah, that's fair. Yep. <laughs> baby violence. I just can't get past baby violence. Like, I I can I... watch fucked up stuff. I can get through like necromantic and you know <laughs> what whatever else is out there. But if it's a baby. You, you, you lost me. <laughs> I've not seen any of these films. That's fair. I, di- I haven't seen a Serbian film because I just, I don't want it in my brain. You don't need it in your brain. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I figured, I watched the first Human Centipede and I think I saw all that I needed to see about people getting stitched together from mouth yeah. to ass. I think there's, I... there's only so much ass to mouth a person can take in uh, you know, their lifetime. There, yeah. <laughs> there's there's only so funny. Much. Uh, I met I met the ass. I, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, uh, oh, I can't, I can't remember his name. But you, you know when you, when your friends... you would recognize his ass if you saw it. Yeah, you know when your your friends are like, oh, I'll come to my you know my stand up or whatever, two drink minimum. There will be ten people there, kind of a yeah. deal. Oh yeah. Well, uh-huh. my my girlfriend had a friend who needed us to show up for them, and we did. And one of the five people doing stand-up was the ass of the <laughs> human centipede. Was it wow. part of his stand-up routine, though? No, no. That Damn seems it. like a severe misuse of his history. It, does. it really does. Right? But I got a picture with him. <laughs> did you really? Yeah, I did. Did you like get a picture with his like ass out? No. Oh, oh, see, no. that's a mistake no. too. <laughs> so many missed opportunities. How did you? How did you know he was the ass? <laughs> like how did that come up in conversation like that's the ass from human centipede with the first one or the second one uh the first one okay the first one okay <laughs> how that come up uh no they, uh the other person who was because these these people were like part of a, a troop or a class or they knew each other oh, uh, okay. and so the the person we knew up on stage knew okay this was their background that's amazing that is amazing <laughs> He gave me his wow. business cards, like, "Hey, if you're doing more horror movies, like, <laughs> do I have an ass nice for ass. you?" <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! Okay. Um. So to transition from <laughs> no, 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 we should so... definitely keep talking about. <laughs> 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 <Wait>. <laughs> 
Let's talk about threshold. <laughs> oh, um, fine. Transition from asses to threshold. Your film. I was, I was trying to come up with a segue, and I, what it, what can you say? Uh, can you tell the listeners <laughs> a little bit about threshold and what it's about? Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, we, we don't know why we're here. <laughs> I was trying to think of a funny way to connect the the ass to this, but uh, that story will come later. Uh, <laughs> What the fuck? Yeah, uh, Threshold <laughs> is our, our family drama road trip horror movie that we shot over the course of 12 days with two iPhones with no scripts and only five people on, along for the journey. It follows uh, Virginia and Leo, a strange brother and sister who have, haven't talked for a long time, have a fraught history. She's uh, had a history with drugs. Uh, he's going through a divorce. Uh, now she claims to be cursed and connected to some random stranger as part of a, a cult ritual. And he's has to help her find him. Or determine if she's just crazy. Right. So where did you, what was the inspiration for this story? So I actually, I actually had this, uh, the germ for this idea in high school. I was going to oh. write this short story about uh, this uh, uh, couple. Uh, I think they were going to be a, a lesbian couple. And one of them got into this black market drug that in high school I was calling physical marriage that bound two people and they felt each other, uh, whatever, uh, what they Whoa. were feeling. And it was going to like accentuate sexual feelings and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, she accidentally gets dosed and connected to the wrong person. And they have to go track that person down. I never ended up writing that short story. I just kept the idea as like a log line in my books throughout the years. And then, you know, when we finally decided we want to make something uh, and we wanted to make something on the road, I was going through my list of ideas and this was the one that fit perfectly. Wow. So did, did you guys film this during like COVID? Is, was no. this No. This, was this before? Yeah, it was the year before. Okay. And so you filmed everything on iPhones, correct? We did. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Oh, uh, <laughs> it was it was excellent and also very difficult. I mean, we were able to get away with doing so much because no one knew that we were filming a movie. I mean, we like the cafe scene at the beginning. We were straight up just in a a fully functional cafe back alleyway like there were actual customers and like it was active and we just had these two little tripods with the cameras kind of tucked or the phones tucked up against our table so no one would really know what we were doing and we weren't obstructing anything and we filmed a full dialogue scene there it was great uh and so that part of it was really fun i mean we stole every location we could (laughs) any anyone on our crew could shoot at any time because it wasn't like a big ass cinema camera that you'd have to pull focus on and know all the settings for you could just kind of pick up your phone open the app that we were using filmic pro and kind of just go. The downsides are that phones are not cinema cameras. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they are not built to withstand certain climate conditions that a cinema mm. camera might weather through better. So we were shooting occasionally, was one scene on top of, uh, it's Brian's Head Pass Peak, right? In Utah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was sunset and it was 11 degrees going down and there was wind. So it was probably closer to zero. And the phones kept freezing, and so we'd have to, like, oh. and it would start to, sh- like, sh- the image would kind of get choppy, and so we'd have to run the phones to the car, put them in front of the vents, and heat them up, oh and then gosh. run them back outside and keep rolling. And we had, like, 30 minutes because the sun was setting. And conversely, wow. down by, we shot down uh, in El Centro as well, down by the border, and it was very hot down there. And we had a whole ah. exterior scene, 
and the phones overheated while we were there. So we had to do the same thing, but with AC on for the vents as well. So we were fighting some interesting tech things while also getting away with a movie we literally could not have done any other way. So how many phones did you guys have? Officially two. two. And occasionally <laughs> okay. our actors. You know, I think we used it for like a couple, wide, like two, maybe two wide shots. But for the majority of it was just Pal and I's phone. Yeah. Wow. Holy shit. The other thing I was thinking of, because I mean, I've filmed some things on my on my phone before and just how much storage it takes up on your phone. I, I can imagine like the technical side of, you know, trying to trying to film and then having to uh, put it on a computer yeah. or something, right? Because yep. there is a finite amount of storage. The on biggest that. issue was that, yeah, unlike, again, an actual normal camera, you could just take the card out of the camera, dump it on your laptop and keep shooting. Right. But with the phones, yeah, it's you plug it in and you sync it like you're normally syncing your phone. And so it takes a while. It takes forever. And we did comically shoot in 4K in filming for one on our phones. Um, Hell yeah. Because we anticipated someone down the line might ask for it. And we didn't want to be like yeah. hindered on the on the delivery front. As funny as it is to say we shot a 4K iPhone movie, it's true. <laughs> so yes, we had to be really careful, especially on an improv movie where all the scenes occasionally could run for 12 minutes at a time. Well, that's the other yeah. thing I was thinking of, because you had said that there is no, that you really, really didn't have much of a script in, in the way going in this, then that, I, I can just imagine, gosh, just that kind of issue as well as as trying to keep it hot keep it cold keep it yeah yeah it was quite a it was totally unique again the actors also talked about really liking not having to wait on setups and being able to just shoot when they felt good and we could steal things Mm. if we were on the road and we all were feeling something like oh we can do this one scene that's my phone call to my wife here because it looks cool and i'm feeling it and so we just pull over and do it it's also less intimidating to have you know, just to be acting around an iPhone as opposed to, you know, a 50-pound camera uh, for a movie that had to be and feel as natural as this one. You know, I, I thought this is pretty important. We also, we couldn't fit, you know, two larger cameras uh, in a car. You know, we had to shoot two simultaneously and, you know, we'd be crossing each other the entire time. Yeah, I was I was just thinking about that because... I mean, on one hand, you, it is, it's sleek and it does allow you to, to film in places like, like the car that make it a lot easier to use. So you, you mentioned earlier about the filming in, in front of the, uh, the, the coffee shop. Did you, was that the same way with the, the karaoke oh. club? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of funny things about the, I'm sure I'll forget one or two as I explain some of it and Patrick will fill in those gaps, but I mean, among other things, my favorite one was our actors. Well, one of our actors was a little nervous about going up to do it. And so we thought it would be great to, you know. Madison had never done karaoke. So we wanted, I had never done uh, karaoke on my own. I'd only done it uh, with a group. So Patrick and I put our names in to do a couple songs beforehand. And we're at a janky karaoke bar, mind you. So like the tracks <laughs> they have are, are not great and i don't know i was pretty surprised they had mine but like it also was such a bastardized version of <laughs> oh, the quality yeah, yeah the quality of and the so tracks and mine was is rough. three octaves higher than it was supposed to be and like <laughs> oh, and no. so it was impossible and i bombed and then patrick went up and shows tiptoe through the whatever the uh, little the little tiptoe, tiptoe through the tulips yeah, by the, tiny oh, tim my god. <laughs> and so you can imagine oh this my god fucking mi- middle of the country bar where like a bunch of la fucks ride through and just 
trash their night with terrible renditions of these songs. <laughs> and then we have our actors go up and do the same song three times in a row. They were like, can you please get the fuck out of this bar? Like, after after she won bingo, too. She won their bingo game and then kept doing the same song on karaoke. Like the most <laughs> local bar, and we are with the most obnoxious people. Yeah. And, and the actors were wearing, you know, their mic packs the whole time, and we were walking around <laughs> filming them. And so one of the... I, I can't remember if he actually worked. I can't remember if he was a waiter. It was the bartender. Patron, it was a bartender, bartender. He comes yeah. over and he's like, you know, I, I marked you guys when you came in. Like, you know, I, 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 I was in the military and I saw you guys had some equipment with you and I just wanted to make sure you weren't starting something. Yeah. Oh, oh shit. He was clearly yeah. not old enough to be in the military division he said he was in. <laughs> it was like something high up. And I was like, oh man. He was like an intelligence <laughs> officer, but he was clearly like 19 or 20. <laughs> And we were just like, all right, kid. Like, sure, you could, we're you could, your bar, but... Yeah, you could feel... You could feel the room turning on us. Because I, I would honestly say the first hour there was pretty fun. We were spending money. We had only done one song each, you know. It, it, it felt okay. And then once we did the song a second time, the whole room really, really turned on us. And it, it, it felt uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Our names wow. are actually on the background of the screen, though, in the movie, if you look at it, because Patrick and I went up to do another song in between the two renditions. So you'll see up next is Powell and Patrick in the movie itself. Oh, my God. I love that you guys uh. like were doing your own karaoke throughout. Like, that's so fun. Like, and like, it makes it feel so much like it feels like natural. It's not just like you're forcing them to go to a soundstage and do karaoke. Like, y'all are just doing karaoke and being funny together which i think is really cool now okay i you said did you say that you were filming this in the in the middle of the country yeah that was that was the middle of utah middle of Utah. okay oh boy because i was gonna say i i live in the middle of the country i live in in nebraska and i can just imagine if two people came into the bar so that like one of the karaoke bars and were singing that that tiny tim (laughs) song i can just imagine the the uh the response rough (laughs) in a a place i think typically dominated by mostly like acdc and country hits and yeah we came in swinging with queens of the stone age and tiny tim and they were like please go away (laughs) (laughs) was that that the other was that the other group yeah that was mine it was it was was, uh yeah no one knows but like the oh yeah that's a great one what is it alto that's the highest opera what is it The, the top of the range it was like in my Double falsetto. I could barely manage it. It was horrendous. <laughs> yeah. There was, Not- there was actually a scene we cut from the movie. Uh, in, in the <laughs> same way we uh, were doing karaoke to make them feel more comfortable. We thought, oh, like, what if Leo's character did that in the movie for her as well? And it was really nice. And it just didn't fit in. And also music rights and everything. What, what was the song he sang to her, pal? Oh, Brandy. Yeah. I mean, it was a really nice, sweet little scene of uh, Leo singing Brandy to his sister, and, and it, mm. it just didn't fit. I got it wrong. Alto's the lowest. That was my bad. <laughs> <laughs> Soprano, Soprano, right? Or, yeah. You're supposed to be the music one. I, I played the drums, dude. I don't know what singing is. <laughs> um, that is an interesting part about all this movie, too, though, is Patrick and I definitely had a lot of our own lives interjected into these two characters by by patrick thank you by the way um (laughs) (laughs) he wrote in the the, kind of the musical history because i had i had gone through college thinking i was going to go into music i'd been in two bands and they both broke up and it was kind of life-changing for me and patrick is brother to many sisters so 
both the characters. And our producer Lauren Bates is a was a young mother, and uh, you know is had to choose a lot of you know professional versus motherhood and balancing those kinds of acts. Uh, so a lot of that went in there too. And then obviously the actors poured their fucking hearts out. I was going to say the actors, the performances from both of them. I mean, they like they Joey Millen and Madison West. They felt like brother and sister. Mm-hmm. They have such chemistry together. It worked. It worked incredibly well. Yeah, which is something that you know from the start auditioning them together was very obvious. <laughs> I can imagine. That's amazing. Okay, so we've talked about Threshold. We've talked about your horror history, but P squared pal and patrick <laughs> what film are we talking about today we are talking about 2007's funny games the u.s version. oh boy funny games directed by 2007 <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i hate you <laughs> mcg for the the tiktok error oh, oh my god <laughs> um god so for those of you <laughs> unfamiliar with Funny Games 2007, um, it is a direct. T- I can't. Damn it. Um, it's a direct. It's an English language remake of the 1997 film of the same name by the same director, Michael Haneke. So Michael Haneke made two versions of his movie. That won't get confusing at all. And they're almost <laughs> almost shot for shot. They're identical movies. But so Funny Games is a deconstruction in the way violence is portrayed in the media. A family settles into their vacation home, which happens to be the next stop for a pair of young, articulate, white-gloved serial killers on an excursion through the neighborhood. That was the best synopsis I think I've heard of that. That was nicely done. Um, thank you, IMDb. Thank you, IMDb. All right. <laughs> you could have just taken cook. it and, and run with it. Yeah. 2007. Okay. All right. We'll see ourselves out. Thank you. (laughs) And that was funny games, y'all. That was that was our avant-garde interpretation of funny games. It fits the movie. It does. So okay. How old were both of you when you saw this movie? Like, paint us your horror picture of when you first saw this and how it scarred you for life. Uh, I, I, I was I was fifteen. Yeah, I was fourteen. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, you know, I, I I delved into like I, I had mentioned before. Uh, at that point, mostly all of the franchises. Uh, mm-hmm. it had been a lot of mainstream horror for me at that point. Um you know, that's what I had access to. And I saw the, I, I'd seen, uh, you know, the first two Saw movies and I saw the, the online advertising for the movie. What it was just, it was like this, this advertisement where on the website, you, you were allowed to control a golf club and like hit the ball towards people and like, tease them it was like really fucked up and weird i was like what the fuck is this movie and i did it like almost every day because it looked really weird and it was advertised as you know uh you know this sadistic bloody horror movie i was like i have i have to see this it feels like you know all this other stuff that's coming out um and i finally i think I, i bought it i blind bought it at like a virgin video uh or my mom bought it 
for me. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Hey, Mom, uh, can you buy me this movie I've never seen, but it's probably pretty sadistic? I think yes. I hid it under, or like I, I gave it to her in a stack of like Kill Bill, Kill Bill Volume 2, ah. and Funny Games. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, it's just, you know, all these movies. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Hiding it between Kill Bill and Kill Bill 2. I mean, that's... Well, when you read it just as the title, if you don't know what it is, like Kill Bill Funny Games and Kill Bill 2, like, oh, that sounds like the nice one in the group. So, yeah, I mean, this was, yeah, my mom didn't know what this movie was. It, this was, this didn't have, you know, commercials at, during football games or anything. It's, it's not a, it wasn't a huge mainstream thing. I mean, it could have been a remake of Funny Girl. That's true. Or it could have been like a a spinoff of a Jackass movie, like Funny Games (laughs) starring Johnny Knoxville. And it's just... Directed by 2007, starring Johnny Knoxville. (laughs) 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 Uh, But, uh, yeah, I I watched it for the first time. And the the first time he turns towards... Or no, not, not even then. The, from the moment the the screamo music started, mm. yeah. like within the first five minutes, I was just like overwhelmed and disoriented. It's like, what the fuck am I, am I watching? And, and I, I was just so completely unnerved in a way I don't think I have been since, except for you know maybe Haneke's other movie, Seventh Continent, and like we need to talk about Kevin. Mm. Like it, it's such a specific under your skin fucked upness and I, I i don't think the first time i watched it just because i was so overwhelmed i i got the whole like they're punishing the audience yeah. type thing but the third or fourth time i did and when i chose it as uh you know my high school group's movie night i did oh, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> welcome to being friends with patrick by the way because that is a recurring theme in our life where <laughs> we'll have a party and then it's like wait we should watch what would what did you pull out at the at our other Halloween? Oh, the, the mutilator. Ho- no, the Halloween I, screening we did for, for no. It was a sec. It was a sequel. It was um something two. Was it Wrong Turn two? Oh, just Cabin Fever two. Cabin <laughs> Fever two. And like, <laughs> like why? Why are we putting our friends through this? No, no. My favorite. My favorite was was I, I showed my mostly non horror loving friend group the mutilator, but I left about like halfway into the movie because I had to go oh. somewhere and. I get like 10 minutes away and I get like a string of 10 texts like really vagina hook what the fuck Patrick (laughs) you just (laughs) dropped that bomb and left the party (laughs) it's I don't know what's better or worse is doing that or us hosting like these Halloween events and then still like willingly being there and putting our friends through I don't know I think leaving probably (laughs) yeah also they keep coming so like yeah yeah Maybe less so each yeah. year, but yeah. <laughs> well, I was the friend that did the same thing. I made my friends watch Teeth. <laughs> nice. And I also made them watch Midnight Meat Train. Nice. Oh. And they were all like, you're movie. showing us porn. I'm like, I swear to God, this is the opposite of porn. <laughs> <laughs> and they were ups- They were upset. Hopefully yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I was, I'm not allowed to pick the movies anymore for movie nights. <laughs> I, I have to watch... My, my trash films at very specific hours or you know my girlfriend will come in like you're watching porn no it's it's Jesus Franco it's trash it's okay <laughs> that's the part my fiance does too he walks and he's like what are you watching and I tell him the name he's like yeah that sounds about right and then he'll just leave the room <laughs> he's like are you screaming or someone else I'm like it's just this movie anyway <laughs> I mean pal how did funny games fuck you yeah <laughs> it's a great that's a great question uh 
<laughs> I think what what got to me the first time was that like we you know that period of horror was so interestingly like you know that was around the time we were getting things like House of Wax or yeah. like very dimension filmy sort of slightly. I don't know, slightly bigger slashers than slashers had gotten budgets for us, but it was still kind of surface-level trash horror, you know? And getting going through a lot of those at the time and then coming upon funny games where you're just treated to a st- like a static shot of a staircase, and you're like, this is fucking me up way more than any shot in any of those movies did. You're like, something is so wrong about... You know, you just you just feel like you know what's coming, and it's it's horrific all the way through mm-hmm. because... They're so casual about how bad it's going to be the first, like, 20 minutes. And you just know it's going to get there, and you don't know when. Yeah, it was the first movie to ever attack, like, just attack me with its style and its filmmaking. Mm. I mean, because there's there's purposefully no violence, and, like, you don't see any violence on screen. There's no nudity on screen. There's nothing that these movies usually give you. It's just all the reactions and the human element of it. It's terrifying. Yeah, so you mentioned... The, the kind of like there's a, a a focus like on the staircase and you're just waiting for something to happen. Honestly, for me, the most uncomfortable scene in this entire movie is the eggs. Oh. Is yeah, that's oh. the way that that sort of insidiously um, unfolds where he's being all nice and he's asking yeah. for four eggs and then he drops them and then he's like can I get four other eggs? And she's, you know, obviously she has 12 eggs. So why can't she give me four more? You're not going to need them all. And just the way that scene just sort of unfold and the, the focus on the, the mund- mundaneness of it, where she's taking the, uh, the towel and cleaning up the broken eggs. And, you know, and she's like, it's fine. He's like, I'm sorry. And he has this very baby face to him. The, the actor that it's just like, it's like, a, it's, it's a kid. Yeah. And it's that the way she's, she's un just cleaning up this mess, it like made me so anxious the entire time because mm-hmm. this was this is my first time watching it. So I that I did I knew kind of what was coming, but I didn't completely know what was coming. But that scene, just of all of them, even the ones including the violence, is the one that like just put a pit in my stomach. Well, it's because she can't she can't prove anything. It's it, right. it's it's so infuriating. He's it's this unwelcome visitor and there's nothing to specifically point to. She's he's like, "Oh, did I do something?" and she's she can't answer him. She's like, "No, just go." <laughs> I'm sure uh, you know, people can pick up on and especially women can pick up on these things. I mean, it, I would be curious, are you guys fans of the movie Mother? Because that movie is like an oh. hour of just that. Oh. Yeah, it's just that for like an hour. <laughs> I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that movie so much, but it, it was, I never want to watch it again because, particularly, the scene in the movie in that movie for me was when everyone just kept sitting on the fucking counter, and she's like, oh. "Please get off the counter," and then she turns around and they're sitting back up on that fucking counter. That that. Yes, that is the same exact nervous energy I had through this this egg scene. <laughs> yep. Well, and yeah. like one of the things, especially like when you real like you realize this is all part of their plan. It's like it's so calculated and so performative in a way that's really uncomfortable because again, you know what's coming, but just the way like you don't expect it to evolve over dropped eggs and an innocent guy like an innocent looking guy just like asking for a favor and for ingredients. And it's like, you know, and then you could like this, apparently it's their same old song and dance. And then, Ooh God, that whole sequence in the opening hallway. Cause you go from 
the eggs to um they just break a guy's kneecap with a golf club like it's just all of a sudden everything Mm -hmm. is shattered including tim roth's knee um and it just spirals downhill from there yeah it's interesting the i mean the repetitive the the plannedness of it all i mean that's definitely part of the Mm meta-ness like the repetitive you know this repeats this is going to happen again you know you watch these movies and then you watch the sequel where it exactly happens again. I mean, I, I view this movie, it, it's kind of the tonal flip of Cabin in the Woods, mm-hmm. right? It, it's playing on the tropes and your expectations. And, uh, you know, we're in Cabin in the Woods. There are people in the movie controlling everything. In this movie, it's us and the audience and, what you know, these <laughs> villains who want to see the violence. And we watch all these movies like Saw and Hostel and you know, all the, the classic slashers where a lot of people say, oh, I root for the villains. And, you know, here's Haneke. I, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, this was made in 2007 when you know, what Saw and Saw 2 mm-hmm. and Hostel were 03, 05. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's like, oh, look at these sick American fucks. They need to hear this. Yep. You know, <laughs> look what you get. This is what that situation looks like in the real life. <laughs> well, I'm glad you bring that up because I was I was thinking about how the original came out in 1997 and that was coming from the time of, you know, Quentin Tarantino's films were becoming popular and mm-hmm. it was that sort of over-the-top violence of, like, Natural Born Killers, a movie that Haneke said he hates. And, like, all of that type of violence that was starting to brim up in, in films in the 90s. And then again, we have, as you mentioned, we're, we're in the hostels. But at this point in 2007, we've had four Saw movies at this point. Oh, yeah. So we had, like – and then we had these 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 remakes of, of films like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that were upping the, the violent content. And so you had – it definitely felt – perfectly timed and relation in both in both times this movie was was made as kind of um a response to what was happening at the time in cinema yeah what's weird Mm -hmm. is i had i had such a radically different reaction this time around where um when i watched it when i was younger and and living in the middle of all yeah like you were saying all those those released movies emotionally i felt this movie intentionally i felt it so hard what was weird this time around was i almost felt a sense of I, i don't know as the last year and a half have sucked on many levels, uh, a definite sense of stress and like stress fatigue. Like I didn't, I didn't have it in me to feel it this time. Yeah. <laughs> I like emotionally mm-hmm. wasn't capable of feeling anything. I'm like, I was, I'm, I've been so burned out. I still, um, I appreciate the craft of it, just not necessarily the, um, the creation. I think on the second watch through in the middle of this, just because I was like, man, I'm too tired for this shit. <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I texted yeah. Patrick in the middle, like, dude, this is miserable. I just, like, yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily a movie meant to be rewatched, e- yeah. even if I I have. I mean, he, I sent you the text, pal. I mean, he literally said, I um, mean, he wrote an essay uh, after he made this movie called uh, Media Plus Violence or mm-hmm. something. I mean, he, he said, uh, if you if you leave this movie, you don't need it. If you stay, you do. <laughs> Basically, and and he's been Haneke. You know, we can we can talk about timing, but he's also just always had this nihilistic thought. I mean, his first movie in '89, The Seventh Continent, talks about this almost the same exact thing. Yeah, and then there's Benny's video, um, which also does something similar. And 
I so I I host another podcast called Watch Once Never Again, and we covered Haneke for mm. our first director because we thought, why the mm. fuck not just jump right into the deep end? And I watched mm-hmm. three of his movies in one week, and I no four of his movies in one week, and I don't recommend that mm. ever happening to anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Haneke is such a nihilist, and he's such an asshole. Like <laughs> he. Mm. he just from the quotes I've read about him, but also just like he, but he wants to be an asshole. He wants to kind of like make you feel nasty with what you're watching and wants you to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And he's so good at it that I want to be angry, but I also applaud him for how well he's able to elicit these reactions and really make you confront your role in watching violence. Like I just remember in the 1997 one, it had, a, I think there was a lot to do with, um, like you're, I think there was a bunch of wars going on in Europe and you and um Eastern Europe and there are like footage on TV of the war of the news happening. So there's like in 1997 there's this look at how we watch violence every day on media and then it makes perfect sense like you guys have have been saying about 2007 when there is this resurgence of violence but like entertainment violence not just violence in the news but like we are all willingly going to pay and watch these films so Haneke is very smart and he's also a dick <laughs> well what's yeah what's uh, i oh no go ahead i'll say what's interesting to me is i when i finished it again i like my first text to patrick was like fuck this was goddamn miserable to get through again and i thought it was maybe the nihilism still i was actually again the, the second thing i said was like i just don't have the space for this nihilism but i realized i've been burning through uh, Shinya Tsukamoto's movies, uh, which are, uh, you know, Tetsuo the Iron Man, mm. uh, he did, uh, you know, uh, Killing, and he did uh, Bullet Ballet, and I was like, fuck, these are equally nihilistic, but I think the difference for me is the the nihilism exists within, a, like, this plot and this fictional space, and I'm still invested in those characters, and their nihilism isn't necessarily spilling out into my life, mm-hmm. whereas, like, the nihilism of funny games 100% makes you reflect on on your own inter- interactions with you know violence and 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 movies in real life and i think that might be why funny games yeah registered with me so differently this time around i i don't i don't know i don't know <laughs> I, re- I read a review that i i agreed with i think I, I i love funny games uh you know we're not there yet but you know this movie gets a lot of broken eggs for me <laughs> i i think he fails a little here you know he you know he says you know if you if you you know, leave this movie, you don't need it. If you stay, you don't. I, you know, I, I've stayed through this movie a lot because I, I care I care for the characters. Like, he made me care for the characters. Like, that's not... There, There is no... I'm not watching it. I'm not watching this for the violence. There is no violence on screen. You know, I don't... <laughs> like, I, I... I don't I don't know. There's, there's something about... I almost want to say he made it too well <laughs> like there, there's so many interesting i, I can totally see that. in <laughs> there where like about. i don't like the, the i don't feel the punishment as much as i should because there's so many interesting things going on the lack of music except at the beginning and the end the i mean the interesting playing with time and the rules and, and amazing acting and the the subversion of the the plant and payoff at the end with the knife I don't there's just so much that I come back to that's not the violence yeah that I don't feel punished I mean mm-hmm. there there I mean it's 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 not something that's been done only once there's a couple you know, other movies out there that 
punish the viewer or whatever. Even uh, recently, unfriended dark oh web was like, oh, you know, these there's people paying to watch. What are we doing? You know, and end of Evangelion yes. uh, literally is an anime that turns the camera around on the audience, the live action audience, and shows them what shitty people they've been. This one, I don't. It, it's it's a a miserable ex- experience, but I don't feel punished f- from watching it um, for liking movies like Hostel mm-hmm. and Saw, which I do as well. Yeah, I, I honestly feel worse about it in from a movie like Cabin in the Woods because it's using the same style and tropes and you you know mm-hmm. the the same. It, it, that's a movie that feels like those movies and shows me the manipulation. Whereas this is just, this doesn't feel like a horror movie. So I don't feel punished for watching horror movies. Oh, If that makes sense. I rambled no, a lot. That but, does make sense. Then that's interesting. Yeah. And like, it makes me feel shitty about real life violence. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I meant too. It's more about real life than, <laughs> than my movie tastes. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Cause I guess like, I think what Haneke thinks he's doing and i've thought too much about this is like he's somehow trying to equate cinematic violence with real violence i think and i don't always think that's successful Mm -hmm. because again he's using cinema to do that (laughs) so yeah his essay has a lot of concern that we through these movies will get desensitized to violence which i mean we've been hearing that on the news for decades right I mean, there, there's something to be said about, you know, if I'd be interested to see if he were to make another one of these, if he'd include, you know, the type of violence we now see randomly when we're scrolling, scrolling Twitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a whole diff- mm. different issue, but that's all real life. You guys know the horror people. I, I don't think there's a, a group of us who think it's easier to watch like a snuff film because we've seen every song yeah. movie. It's a, that is a, a great point because I'm going to be perfectly honest. I did not care for this movie <laughs> on this <laughs> watch. And I, because of the, it, it felt very moralizing mm-hmm. to me in a way. And I, as soon as what I, what I am want to do when I'm watching a movie, especially if it's something that's not resonating with me is that I will like to try to go, do some research. And I, I did find an interview that he did with entertainment weekly. I think it was back in 2008 and they were talking about this movie. And the interview question was you show almost no acts of actual on-screen violence and funny games, or why do you show almost no acts of actual violence? And the response was, I don't really want to be part of this violence pornography <laughs> of the mass media. And then the follow-up question is based on what you just said, it does seem like you intend the film to be a critique of Hollywood violence. And he says, yes, of course, I've never said otherwise. I've said in many interviews that I very much dislike the the consummation of violence as it's depicted in some Hollywood movies. I'm not making any secret of that. And they asked him about how it's almost identical to the original and why did you decide to to remake it? And his response was because the German language version did not find the English language audience for the film for which the film was originally meant. Hmm. So he wanted to remake it because no one in America had actually seen it. (laughs) So his his point of view seems very pointed mm-hmm. in the interviews and in the film to a to a specific kind of, of film. And it's 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 the films that I mean, I kind of grew up on. And I always think you have Haneke on one side and then you have Wes Craven on the other who is saying that that horror is sort of like 
boot camp for the the soul, boot mm. camp for the psyche, mm-hmm. because it's your it allows you to conceptualize and deal with specific cars that just decide to drive by with no mufflers <laughs> in the middle of my point. Because it allows you to take concepts that we're afraid of and and view it on screen and sort of be able to deal with it, rationalize it, and move forward as sort of the sort of boot camp for for your for empathy in a way. Mm-hmm. And he sees them as empathy uh, machines, and you have Haneke, who is basically the exact opposite from what I've seen. And so my first viewing of this really just kind of made me angry. <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah, it, it's very. It it's not. I mean, his approach to it isn't as a movie. It's an essay. Yeah. This is ju- it's just a visual yeah. essay. And I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> he even, even makes like, mean, jokes about that by the end. Like when uh, Naomi Watts' character is falling asleep and like, he's like, oh, you're falling asleep. And it's like, that's definitely pointed towards the audience who is burning the fuck out at that point in the movie. Like we've I th- just yeah, been... I think the, the original even had, I think there, I mean, the couple differences, the original had even more of that the dialogue the original is like oh, why are you still doing this uh, uh so that it can be feature length come on yeah i was wondering about that because i did hear that that comment in in some review that i found and, and i don't remember that being it's in not. this movie so i was curious if that was just if that was in the original just yeah. the original yeah there's like um, two or three yeah. line differences you know between the two but okay so the fourth wall breaks in, in particular um i had like various <laughs> opinions to them but like they definitely had a definite pointed message to it the the sort of kind of going along that well it's not feature length thing is one of the comment one of the questions is why don't you just kill us and you shouldn't forget the importance of entertainment and thesis (laughs) and then michael haneke reaches out through your tv and boops you on the nose and then his arm retracts through the tv and lets you keep watching yeah (laughs) exactly well and it (laughs) <laughs> and it, it it seemed like the most evident in the scene where that that kind of precedes Ugh. the death of the kid where um one of the characters and i'll be honest i have a hard time remembering which one is peter and which one is paul i'm pretty sure that's the intention but one of them is sitting in front of the television he's you know skimming through the whatever's on tv and there's like news reports and there's stuff about the environment and he's like skipping through all of it and he settles on nascar america yes exactly and it's this mindless form of entertainment about watching cars drive around in circles for very fast for hours at a time and that is what he is he is watching and then the other character walks in and they start talking about beavis and butthead they talk they call each other beavis and butthead so obviously he has a specific point in mind for american culture and, and american cinema and what passes for entertainment in america with, with just that one really scene inter- yeah which is really interesting considering how the movie starts and ends i mean it starts with a conversation between about uh you know different opera and composers and it's mm. very intelligent and then it ends the same way they're talking about like quantum physics or, or yep. something on the boat like these are very educated people like all five of these people are extremely educated but you know when it boils down to the meat of it you know we gotta we gotta play the role we gotta play yeah, yeah. we do <laughs> i will say the beginning hit me probably significantly at least like the cut to metal music mm-hmm. i think when i was younger I didn't quite understand exactly emotionally what that what that needed to mean at that point. I think you know my my tiny fourteen year old brain was like, oh, it's like hardcore because it's metal music and it's a horror movie. <laughs> and now it's like you've got the this 
suburban family unaware of this horror bubbling all around them and underneath them and like they have no fucking idea but we do and that that got me a lot more into it at least when i first started watching it this time around and then i slowly devolved into um i want to i think one of his other failures with this movie again a movie i love is not making it obvious enough that you're not supposed to like the family i think to him he's coded this family as these golf-loving, yuppies, rich people in the country who have, you know, golden retriever and, you know, don't give out eggs and are basic and boring. And, of course, they're educated and, like, went to Yale or something. People he probably, you know, like, he doesn't like. Well, and I thought about this. It This this was my, my first thought watching this movie. And one of the first notes I took was that I – I thought that the 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 drive was an interesting subversion of what we typically expect of an American family where you know they're on a long drive and they're playing I spy or something right or they're playing like 20 questions no they are playing guess the composer yeah. of this opera that's not relatable <laughs> score but it it really is establishing their their personality and what he thinks of them but what I think is interesting though is that it goes from this this operatic where it's a focus on lyrics and everything is just how beautifully mm. you can sing and the amount and the focus on words and if you look up the lyrics for Bonehead by Naked City that comes blaring in it is literally roar yeah ah ooh hey ah and roar that is like the hell yeah that is like the lyrics so it goes from being about lyricism and about that kind of beautifulness to literally unintelligible sounds are the, the lyrics for that song and i thought that was a really interesting thing on on this this watch for me personally yeah I'd, i wonder if the movie would work better for you if the movie style did that as well the movie style is always yeah. lyrical. you know it's always composed it yeah. never gets un, out of control uh, even at its most depraved it actually gets the most control yeah. which is very yeah. bizarre and cool, but I mean, all my love for this movie comes from like <laughs> that's that's different and weird, and that's that's funny. Well, there's this moment where Michael Pitt's character says, "I'm hungry. Can I have a sandwich?" And they just, and they're all tied up <laughs> on the couch, and he just they just like look. At, that's one of my favorite lines from the movie because he's like, "Oh, I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat?" And they just look at him like they had the <laughs> shit kicked out of them they're all tied up the kid is wearing a bag on his head at this point and he's like i'm gonna go eat and that's he walks out of the room and that's when he fires the gun. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i it's not funny like i shouldn't laugh which is terrible but it's just like i think it's, it's funny it's kind of funny because no, it's, it's so calculated and it's so obviously like planned out yeah. and performative and he's like oh yes i'm going to go to the kitchen and make a sandwich and it's just so obvious but it's so like you want to laugh at the same time that you want to be like oh fuck like a kid was just murdered yeah i did God, that kid's face i did realize just how much of this must have uh to tie it around to the title of your uh your podcast uh scarred <laughs> both me and patrick for life because a lot of the style choices in this uh whether or not we meant to seeped out into both of our, our our first two movies, Bastard and Threshold, there's a lot of stuff that I hadn't remembered was in this movie that made it into those two. I mean, Threshold immediately cuts to a mm. punk song, uh, yeah. like, from Silence. Uh, mm. Bastard has a bunch of empty static shots of, like, or, or long-held shots of stuff happening, including at the most brutal part of the movie. Um, 
for which if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it now. There's a, a, a C section at the end, and it's an uncut, long ash. Well, it was initially, then the MPAA uh, made us cut it. But it was an uncut, <laughs> like, two and a half minute long shot of, of the C section. I was like, fuck, we most must have internalized the shooting style mm. of this movie so much because it's but just the style yeah because we're we're very uh, i mean you you guys liked threshold or so i've heard <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a, a very empathetic movie it is absolutely yeah well okay so i'm glad you brought up the static shots because my favorite shot of this movie or the one that i think the one that made me nauseous was the static shot of naomi watts mm. getting up after they uh, trying to untie herself yeah so that peter and paul have left they're they basically make it sound like oh, okay it's over we're bored so she leaves and it's just the camera sitting there as she struggles to get up she's in a bra and underwear her son is laying lifeless on the floor and there's blood on the se- on the on the wall and then her husband is laying down on the floor so it looks like they're both dead and she is just like doing her damnedest to stand up and untie herself and it is just agonizing like it feels like it's 15 minutes long and it's not but like she is trying so hard to keep her shit together and it you know who knows if this is what Haneke like wanted to do but this really felt like you have to sit with the consequences of violence like a lot of time Mm -hmm. in movies that violence happens and you don't really see like the emotional devastation afterward but here you have to watch her just absolutely struggle her ass up. And then you mm-hmm. find out her husband's alive. But then Tim Roth's like screaming. Yeah. I, those, like, those moments are just nauseating because it feels so real. And apparently Tim Roth can never watch that movie because the George, Georgie, their son, looks just like Tim Roth's son. Mm. And so he had oh. a very hard time filming this and he can't watch it because it just it makes him think too much of his own kid. Yeah, especially on Naomi Watts and like that long shot untying yourself. You, there's no faking there. You can't fake. Oh, no. she hits her back so hard no. on that table when she stands up. She oh, right? God, it's brutal. Oh my god. Yeah. That's actually my I use the word favorite because I don't know what else to say, but that is actually my that the aftermath of that <laughs> of that death when it, when they leave is my favorite part of the film because it again we're focusing on the mundaneness of trying to deal with the trauma and deal with the situation that they just witnessed for you know the, her trying to get up trying to get dressed helping him up trying to be strong for him they try to get out of the house the door is locked they try the phone it's working but the the calls won't come out so like they're they're having to use a dryer to try to dry out the battery it's just there's so much time is spent on this aftermath that it's just like it's almost more intense than what followed or than what became well cuz it's it's the only emotional part of it right movie. yeah, I, yeah. It's, it's the it's the only part where Haneke's actually flexing mus- muscles he uses a lot which are the more this well I, I you know, he uses his nihilism a lot, but he's also <laughs> really good at, you know, humanistic character pieces and mm-hmm. uh, watching for 25 minutes these two parents grieve. It's the only character stuff we have in yeah. the movie. Nothing happens before the attack. <laughs> well, and that's what I think when you said that the movie fails in a way. And I think this is the part that I think really makes it fail and that instead of following the killers you stay with the family and they he strikes up that emotional yeah, with them. them like they so are much. people yeah. yeah they're humanized and i feel like in including that it kind of contradicts his he's point he's chastising which I don't think us for bad. rooting for their death while making us not root for their death yeah yeah it's very strange which he, I, 
It's very that's strange. even planted somewhat early on, and I, you know, the, yes, they seem snooty from the intro, sort of, sort of gently snooty from the, the you know, pick the composer. But yeah. the second they get in the house, there's clearly marital problems. There's clearly like issues where, he, if he wanted us to hate them, I don't think those would have been there because they were like very real, like very relatable issues where like. Uh, they both don't know how to deal with the dog, and they're passing it back and forth, and, like, he misunderstands her and doesn't take her seriously when she comes in, but not in, like, a way you can't quite... You can get why he doesn't get why she is so upset, and it's very... He, yeah, he just does, he doesn't know how to do that. He doesn't... It, this is why it's very hard, and not... And I'm gonna, trying to say this in the most non-gatekeepy way possible. It's very hard to make a satirical or critical bit about horror if you don't like horror yes (laughs) and he clearly does not like horror (laughs) yeah i agree yeah no that's a good point that's true like it doesn't feel like he's seen a horror movie yeah he is just like he just heard about them Mm -hmm. and he's like okay this is what they are equally apparent when you think of something like uh, i guess uh, obviously different message but something like Shaun of the dead which is mocking one of the biggest subgenres of horror and it Mm -hmm. does it on every level that only a horror fan could understand Yep, and if you like, kind of consider these movies back to back, you're like, this, this is, this is someone on the outside of a bubble looking in at the bubble, being like, this is a dumb bubble. Whereas, like, some <laughs> Shaun of the Dead is someone inside the bubble being like, this is a sick bubble, but there's a lot of stupid issues with it. But I'm gonna stay in here anyway. <laughs> you know, but there are there are things that um I do ap- appreciate the way that he. Okay, so <laughs> Peter and Paul, the the names. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to how to parse this out exactly. But okay, so the names feel interchangeable to me because I I I all I like I said before I get con- I was confused as to which one was Paul and which one's Peter. And of course they start calling each other Tom and Jerry, and they start calling each other Beavis and Butthead. And so there's there's obviously something at at play here where we're not supposed to really identify them. And the way that they talk about their backstory, it's it was interesting to me because there's different stories that they come up with and all of them are kind of tropes that we see in, in horror mm. where one, one of he, he calls one of the characters that he's gay. You know, this is why he's gay. Cause he has a, a mama affection. So you have the idea of the queer coded villain, which is a, which is a trope in horror, or you have like, well, they're, they're just white trash or that they're druggies or that they have nothing in there. You know? So like he goes through all the gamut of reasons for why they could be doing this. And there are actually reasons for why the villain does things in a bunch of horror movies. And so it was moments like that that I was like, okay, I can kind of see what you're doing here. And I can kind of see that you have an understanding of at least the villain aspect of it. But I don't think he quite gets the more human aspect of it, the more empathetic aspect of why we appreciate horror. I think that's, that's, no, I, yes. I totally, I, I totally agree <laughs> with that. It, it's, it is difficult to talk about this because clearly both Patrick and I really appreciate this movie yeah. on many levels. It was just very odd today to have a watch after not having seen it since I was 14 and having it impact me so much yeah. and being like, I'm clearly not in the same like headspace I was when I, when I first saw this. <laughs> and it has radically changed how I look at it now. Still appreciate it a lot, though. So is this is this movie emblematic of like his approach to because, again, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Is this kind of is this a typical Haneke film? I've literally only seen three of his and they're f- funny games Funny Games and The Seventh Continent, which is Seventh Con- one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen. 
But he's also made a movie called Amore. So I don't know. <laughs> so, okay. So the thing with Haneke is that the violence in his... It, all of his movies are sad as fuck. Yeah. Like, this is this is an emblem. Like, the, I think this is like a Haneke movie that if you watch it, you'll kind of get a sense of what he does. Mm. Because the rest of his movies, like, there's The Piano Teacher, there's mm, Cash, mm-hmm. there's Amore, that aren't necessarily as violent, but they're so upsetting. Mm-hmm. And it he's tries to reach into like a deeper level of understanding humans and their emotions and the weird dark parts of humanity, particularly around grief and trauma. And this one isn't as emotionally deep, but I think it gives you a really good sense of his nihilism and how he kind of just seems to want to shove this stuff in your face and make you really look at and think about the ways that you consume media wow. piano teacher is good but it's really um traumatic yeah, I, was, I was talking to a lot of people yesterday during the oscars uh, uh two uh, a week or so ago at the oscars <laughs> um, <laughs> the image is broken uh, <laughs> we're recording this on alien day know, this, this, this isn't live <laughs> i think we can just dub it over and you guys can have you one of you can just record a voice saying a week ago over when he said it and it'll end it together just fine don't worry about it <laughs> i'll play that clip of that song about a week ago there and we just place yeah. that in on top of it yeah and then we'll get a dmca attack and we'll the episode will never see light of day <laughs> what were you gonna say uh, this, this last year i haven't wanted anything emotional i haven't wanted to watch anything emotionally stressful yep. one bit I've watched a bunch of Scott Adkins movies and B-70s flicks, and that's it. Like, I haven't wanted to be more stressed than the world's already made me. Uh, so, Anarchy for probably a few more months, can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> well, and quite a few of the ones that you haven't seen are about death and, like, people dying. Like, Unlike but, like, funny games. <laughs> yeah, I, I said that, and I was like, shit, that's not what I meant to say. No families <laughs> die in funny games. <laughs> no one dies in funny games. Everyone survives and has a happy ending. But his other films are very much about like family members dying yeah. and family members traumatizing you and just like complex relate like familial interpersonal relationships that are just full of toxic dynamics. So yeah, probably don't watch any of them for a while. Well, or you or can ever. watch I one mean, of like... those and then follow up with Threshold, which comes out <laughs> on the other side of a toxic familial relationship, and you get to see some bonding and some mending. May third on Arrow. You heard it here. <laughs> the day that you're today. listening to this. Today, today in fact. Today, damn it, today. today, on Arrow. On Arrow uh, <laughs> fuck me. We're so good at this. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually all a Michael Haneke, like, yeah, funny games-esque uh, takedown of recording live on podcasts. Where's Paul and his remote <laughs> when you need it? <laughs> 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 we should do a we i don't know the royal we we should do a double feature of funny games then threshold and be like guys you got two ends of the spectrum here it's great <laughs> yeah the weirdest probably the weirdest double yeah, feature emotionally okay. drain you and then put you through an emotional ringer immediately after <laughs> <laughs> yeah just two different kinds sort of yeah Anyway, uh, actually, though, uh, if you go to Arrow today, uh, there is a section, uh, a Robinson and Young section of selections we've made that we thought would pair well with the movie oh. or that we've liked in the past, mm. because today is clearly not when we've done it. 
Yes. <laughs> I took a sip of my coffee and almost shot it out of my nose. So thank you for that. Thank you. I truly appreciate it. <laughs> what are some of the movies that we could see on your list? That is a great question. Uh, uh, have so you picked my... them yet? I can cut this out if you haven't no, picked them we, yet. Well, we haven't <laughs> trimmed down. We, 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 mixed, we mixed in a good mix of like, oh, these ones have to do with, uh, you know, family. These ones were low budget. These ones we just like. Uh, and so, you know, we picked things uh, like one, uh, like who killed Captain Alex? You know, other low budget quote-unquote miracles or as similarly after midnight mm. which is another oh, low yeah. budget miracle that you know had a similar route and to something us. that no matter what patrick uh will not let me edit off this list that uh, i won't let you let me in whatever you get it uh crow crow hand it's a short film crow that hand. i saw years ago like five years ago at a festival it's exactly how it and sounds. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's like It is as descriptive of the movie as terrified. <laughs> a husband gets more than he bargains for when he picks up a mysterious crow, totem off the ground, much to his wife's chagrin. And that's it. That's it. There's nothing more to the movie. It's like two, two minutes long, and that's you're, you get what you came for. Um, it's but great. It's, is, it, is it animated? No. Nope. nope. Live. That's oh, okay. So the poster just looks... Yes. Oh, my God. No, it, wow. Uh, that, and then I will say, uh, to go back to uh, Tsukamoto, uh, I just saw Killing... Again, recently, it goes by Zahn, the but on IMDb, but Killing, a hundred percent. Again, one of the ones that's staying on for me. Yeah, loved it. It's fucked up, um, and also very emotional. <laughs> and then, like, I included Hellraiser three on there because I just had a crush on Terry Farrell. And Hell that's yeah, it. here for it. Cool. That's a good reason, though. Terry's are good. Hell yeah, we are. <laughs> 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 um. Funny game. <laughs> I just like, don't know how to. Or let me look at my notes. The Is there anything else I wanted to say? Ta- okay, hold on. So Terry put a note down that called "Funny Games" the Seinfeld horror movies, and I really okay. I desperately need to understand why you wrote that. Uh, I'm opening up Premiere right now to change the opening screamo song to the Seinfeld theme. I'm gonna do it for you. I'm I'm literally (laughs) opening up the video program. I've got this. Uh, Please. Sorry to expose you, Terry, but it cracked me the fuck up, so I needed to understand what that meant. I almost didn't write that in in our shared document, but... Sorry. I just feel like I just feel like this movie is much ado about nothing. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to say, like I you gotta you gotta keep going. I have to understand Seinfeld is a show about nothing. Because Seinfeld is a show about nothing. Well no, he literally I think Haneke literally says it's a show about or it's a movie about nothing, right? About nothing. Oh, does he? It's he said something to that. Terry, effect. you were so yeah. much deeper than you ever that's knew. That's exactly that's exactly <laughs> why I wrote it down. I was tapping into his uh his No, I just I, I honestly like I, I think and I guess we can we'll get to this a little bit more when I'm giving my review, but I I do think this movie is very well constructed. I just by the end of it, and I was like, okay, I just feel like I watched a Seinfeld episode mm-hmm. where I get what it's going for, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, that was much to do about a five-minute thesis that I could have gotten, and <laughs> just like... Damn, Terry! <laughs> any any well-versed viewer, like, the second 
they start playing the game yeah and he looks at the camera everyone's like oh yeah I get it. you know so if there's nothing else there that you're truly enjoying or I mean, if you're not in then you know I'm, yeah part of me wondered on this watch again if this could have been better suited as a short film Oh, absolutely. Like you said, <laughs> there's, a thesis, there's a thesis in there that probably didn't need to be this long. Conversely, I understand why he wanted it to be this long yeah. because that's how he wanted to hammer it home. So I get, I get yeah, it. Yeah, he wanted it to be miserable. He wanted to be, yeah, front to, and it is, front to back. But like, there is a world where I think you could definitely, if you needed to, <laughs> get the same idea across very quickly. Come on, Terry. You don't like watching like a ridiculous, a long movie about a family just getting absolutely tortured. No family dies two... in funny games. We established no, fu- no, no yeah, families die in funny no games. No death. No death. Nor nor animals. No animals were harmed oh. in the making of this film. I, I just I think back to I mean I I had mentioned offline uh, a, Ro- a Roger Ebert review, which it turns out it wasn't written by Roger Ebert. It was written by Jim Emerson, but it was on RogerEbert.com, and I read it. Back in 2008, which is the reason why I never sought out this film, and I, I guess in my entire my entire time had just attributed it that it was Roger Robert Gosh Roger Ebert's review, but he's talking about how he quotes Michael Haneke and he says anyone who leaves the cinema doesn't need the film, anybody who stays does. And then he continues with that train of thought and says an even better response theoretically would be to storm the booth and rip out the film out of the projector, thus symbolically declaring your refusal to swallow the forceful and medicinal doses of synthesized abuse the film is administering. (laughs) Damn. I just I, I yeah. I th- this movie this movie wasn't for me. I I what I'd be curious of is if you gave it like two years, got to a different point in your life, and tried to rewatch it again. Because I definitely feel like this is a movie that, depending on not only your mood but like how your last six months has been going, you might find things you appreciate in it you didn't. I mean, at that's point. that's very true. I mean, I and I guess you could, yeah. I mean, but I I'll, I guess the other side is that I have spent like especially since since COVID started, I've spent most of my free time watching horror movies either for you know mm. reviewing for festivals or for podcast prep or for just entertainment like so i've just i've spent the last year kind of finding my solace i guess through what's been going on through through kind of the comfort of watching something that is a controlled bit of mania a controlled bit of chaos controlled bit of horror that is something that i feel like i have some kind of control over and so and here comes a movie saying fuck you exactly and so that probably has has absolutely i can't even say probably that absolutely has contributed at least part of my disdain for it to be perfectly honest because i have spent the last year using this as my coping mechanism to be told nah fuck you you're fucked up i mean that's kind of the 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 feeling i got out of this Mm. film Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's also difficult to watch a movie that hates itself for being that. And, like, that makes it an interesting, like, you know, it is both sadistic and masochistic in that way. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, in some ways, yeah. wants to have its cake and eat it, too, it feels like, at by the end of it. And that's that was, again, I think, why I was thinking this sort of Seinfeld-esque feel to it, but... <laughs> <laughs> I love I fucking love that. It's S and M Seinfeld and I'm here for it, I guess. Apparently. Guys, I'm 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 done. I'm exporting. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god. god. I love it. Oh my god. This is amazing. Also, welcome to another glimpse into how Patrick and I function when we're editing and working together. Like we have an editor, William Ford Conway, who we love, but eventually we take the drive from him into our final tweaks. 
And usually that involves me and Patrick dropping in horrendously bad needle drops here. There. <laughs> this is a beautiful working relationship. I, mean, I love this. I, yeah. I will send Terry weird clips of when we're edit- <laughs> I'm editing, um, which yesterday included a potential ghost voice on one of our episodes, which scared the shit out of me. Nice. And I was like, Terry, you have to fucking listen to this because I have no idea what's happening. So... <laughs> <laughs> pal, pal we can't if, if we're talking about this we can't not talk about the surprise edit in our move in threshold which wait wait which one that we received the first draft and oh, the first Lord. edit will <laughs> i thought you meant something that we had done just no, surprise no, okay no, no. yeah uh i've been rambling you ta- you've been editing you take it you take this one <laughs> uh okay so <laughs> so th- this is we're gonna get into some spoil spoilers here for people who have not seen Threshold. we will put um, um time co- i'll put time codes in the description of the podcast so y'all can skip yeah. ahead of it if you don't want to get spoiled great uh la, 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 la. at the end of the movie big naked cult guy mm-hmm. right yeah. yes uh he was very comfortable on set remaining or being mostly naked um and he arrived on set many many hours before <laughs> We had planned to use <laughs> because him. we had to bring him out with us because we couldn't afford to like pay for his gas, so we had to drive him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was getting a little bored, and he asked if he could be in one of the shots. And we we were shooting the shots of them walking through the house, and obviously, as you've seen, no one is supposed to be there. And he wanted to be in one, and you know, we were paying this guy a hundred bucks to come be naked on our fucking iPhone movie, right? So we said, sure, you can follow him in one shot. <laughs> and, and so we filmed it. We There's a, a shot of uh, Leo walking through the bathroom, and there goes naked oh, cold dude right behind my God. him. And so we're good. You know, we, we let him do that. He's very nice. Let's move on. But what's funny about it is also the door frames in the house were very small. So he's only in it for like a second <laughs> and a half. And he's yeah. just like this guy just kind of creeps through the background wearing a cheap Goodwill mask. Because like we only thought we were going to see them at night. You know, we thought these black masks that we had bought, they maybe maybe $3. And like it has a little one of those elastic strings that like Halloween masks have. So it looks like crap. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot he was wearing the yeah, mask. Yeah, he just kind of, like, shot. slowly creeps through the door frame and then disappears. He got from Goodwill. <sighs> and and for a little frame, of, uh, and so we, we got through the night, uh, shot everything he needed to he shot. He was wonderful. And, um, He's very fun to work with. Michael Q. Schmidt. Yeah. But, uh, so this movie we shot based off of an outline, a 20-page outline that had no third act. The third act in our outline was day nine, they arrive. So everything from when they drive up to the house to the end of the movie was completely unplanned uh, until the day before we shot it. It's completely made up the day before and rendered to everyone vocally. We didn't even really write it out. And, and everything before that even got a little bit jumbled and some stuff we didn't shoot, some stuff we added in. So we handed off all of the footage to our editor and basically ghosted we were exhausted needed to take a break we handed him the footage and the 20 page outline and basically disappeared for two months we did forget how much we changed on the road because it was a time vortex (laughs) and a complete black hole in our memories but a lot had changed (laughs) yeah and so our editor had no idea what order the third act was supposed to go in yeah i 
you know, there there was the the actual literal finale uh, when they're in the car and the cold arrives and everything. He literally couldn't edit it. He put in the title cards and it sent us an email like, I'm so sorry, guys. I didn't know what to do here. And it was like, oh, no, we just didn't tell you. It's we fine. also didn't know. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> but we were watching the, the first draft together. And they get to the house, and he's walking through the house, and in the cut <laughs> is the shot of the naked cult guy walking behind him. And we called our editor, and he's like, why would you guys shoot that if you weren't going to use it? <laughs> he had no idea the house was supposed to be empty. He thought we were just did a bad job at 10 <laughs> <laughs> A failure and for uh, foreshadowing. And what was funny was it was yeah. the first time all of us had seen a rough edit of a movie of ours that we really genuinely thought was like, oh shit, this movie's actually working. And then it gets to that <laughs> shot, and that happens, and we were like, oh no! Like, oh my god! What faith do you have? I would have lost it. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Yeah, our, our reasoning for not having the ending written was we knew the improv would change everything. We knew the last third of the movie would probably need to be different. By the time we'd shot most of it. But that did leave to, yeah, complications like our editor not having any idea what the hell we had made. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, God bless us all. He figured it out. Thank you for editors. Thank you to editors. Um, on that note, as the editors of our own podcast, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> I tried my hardest. Um <laughs> Do we want to wrap this up and give a give us a rating out of five? Is it is it out of five or out of four eggs? Because the movie only had four eggs. So. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna no, we're gonna twelve is... technically. <laughs> God damn yeah, it! They break all twelve. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a it's out of twelve. It's out of a dozen. It's. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you have a dozen. You're going shopping on Monday. Come on, guys. It's over. We're done. It's <laughs> Why did we pick broken eggs? I, I thought it was funny, and then I didn't think about it hard enough, and now I feel like a fool. <laughs> um, regardless of how many eggs are in a carton, um, Terry, how many broken eggs out of five do you give funny games? <sighs> well... <laughs> I guess lucky for Paul, I only will, would need two of those eggs, um, so he could have the rest. Because I look, I this movie didn't work for me. I think it's a beautifully made film. Uh, he's obviously very skilled. It's I love the shots. I love the cinematography. I love the static image that kind of creates this sort of window that we're looking into. It's not flashy. I love the performances. I thought I. There, on paper, this thing seems like it would be perfect uh, for me, but maybe it's the time that I'm watching it in. Maybe it's my my attitude right now, but I just it did not work for me on a purely structural level. And for that, I am only keeping I don't know why I'm keeping broken eggs, but I'm keeping two of those broken eggs and offering them up to the group. What about you, Mary Beth? <laughs> I'm going to take <laughs> the four eggs they initially wanted and just smash them on top of their heads. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's going to be four e four smashed eggies on their heads. This movie is relentless, but I think it's really well done. I think some of the shots and the writing and the performances by Naomi Watts and Tim Roth make this movie mm. amazing to watch. Naomi Watts is perfect and it's relentless and i don't want to watch it again but i also like i appreciate haneke's filmmaking style and what he was trying to do i don't think it always lands 
but I think it's very clever and I think it's very well done. And I also like am entertained by the idea that he remade his own movie so Americans would watch it. Like I just think that's hysterical. Um so yeah, four broken I mean, that's the biggest read of us, right? And it's the truth <laughs> that we won't watch a foreign film, but you remake it in English and we'll gobble it up. So really Right there, he could have just stopped right there That's and he true. would have been a perfect satire of American culture. Very true. Okay. Powell and Patrick, you have the final word. How P many bro P squared. How many broken eggs mm. do you give funny games? I think I'm gonna I'm trying to weigh my original viewing of it because mm. it did have such a lasting impact on me creatively. Yeah. And and on my view of, of making movies. And back then I probably would have given it, you know, four Four broken eggs. I think right now, I would have given it yeah more closer to a Terry two. Uh, we would have made four together, but I think I'm going <laughs> to average it out. I'm going to give it. You give it three and a half. I'm going to give it three broken eggs and a yolk. Okay. Cool. About <laughs> 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 you, Patrick. Um. <laughs> Sorry, that was fucking stupid. <laughs> 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 I'm like, ah, oh, do I have to be creative? <laughs> Thanks, guys. This this movie means a lot to me. Um, obviously, I mean, I recognize all these flaws. And it's one of those things where like, I realize a lot of its failures and I probably shouldn't like it as much as I do, but I do. And so since it, it means so much to the, the origins of, you know, my storytelling and filmmaking style, I'll give it a four uh, eggs cracked under the weight of its own mother. <laughs> holy shit yeah damn <laughs> alright I love that <laughs> well, thank you so much Patrick and Powell for joining us <laughs> to talk about funny games where can the listeners find yeah. you and what do you have that you'd like to, to share nothing No, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm primarily on Instagram at least uh, socially I, I, Patrick is our, is our Twitter person I don't I don't quite get Twitter yet. I'm still working on it. But uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I got the website. Patrick. Yeah, I'm uh I'm mostly on Twitter, just young enough. Uh our film is on Instagram, threshold underscore film. You can watch our movie today on Arrow. Uh you can watch our previous movie, Bastard, which is a more typical eighties retro hack and slash, spines ripped out, heads chopped off with also empathy <laughs> um you can rent that on amazon itunes uh what have you yeah i feel like bastard is what what happens is a good view of what happens when we're left alone <laughs> like when no one's telling us what to do or we're watching how things yeah. come out <laughs> yeah threshold is very i mean in the title card at the beginning spells it out it is is a film by all five of us madison west joey millen lauren bates Patrick R. Young, Pal Robinson, we all made this movie together. It is all our movie. Uh, and that is very evident. And I just emailed you guys funny Seinfeld. Fuck yeah. Okay, that'll, <laughs> that will be posted on our Twitter account. Seinfeld Games. <laughs> Seinfeld Games. Um, <laughs> amazing. Okay, so listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with funny games? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. 
Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.